Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hey, what's going on, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student. And I am once again joined by my good friend, Martin Bamey. Dude, what's up? Oh, hey there. Oh, hi. So uh, we, have, we have tried to record this episode a couple of different times, I feel. We're gonna get it right this time. Yeah. Um, so this is the start. I, I I may have mentioned this at the end of the previous episode. If you happen to get to the end of that, because it was a long conversation, that uh, Martin and I are starting a three-part series, which we are calling the Path to College. And this is totally like a Hobbit situation because we started out with one tiny outline, and it ballooned into like this ridiculously huge series we wanted to do. Uh, I don't even, do you even remember what we were originally planning on doing with this? Was it just like how to get into college or something? Yeah, it was, I think it was going to cover parts one and two of this trilogy uh, more lightly. And then when we actually started, we sat down and looked at the content, it became (laughs) huge. And then you were like, well, what about this? And I had said that I was actually keeping that out of the scope because it seemed too big. But now that it's going to be several parts anyway... Yeah. Let's just make it a part three. Yeah, Problem that's solved. right. We had, I think it was how to get into college and pay for Unless it. Unless we're going to have like a six hour conversation <laughs> and then release it as one podcast. It's going to take you like. Yeah, it'd be a long episode. It's going to take you a long time to download that just to listen to it. And that would be a lot of hours invested for one episode. I feel like I would have to package it up and sell it as an audiobook if I did it as one big thing. So instead, yeah. we are doing three podcast episodes over the next coming weeks. And uh, hopefully the end product should be three episodes that will help you, number one, get into college and also choose the college that you want to go to um, more intelligently. That's going to be the focus of this particular episode. And then number two is going to be about how to pay for college. So in that one, we're going to talk about um, selecting a college that is financially affordable, whether or not you should go for a more expensive college. Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? And then we're going to get into the nitty gritty details of scholarships, grants, loans, all that good stuff, paying back loans, all the cool ways that the government has of uh, paying back your loans for like less money per month if you need to. And the last episode I'm pretty excited about because we're going to talk about how to, I want to say like how to be an adult, but I think what was the, what was the actual word we used? Like being college ready basically, right? Yeah. Getting like mentally in the right space. There are a lot of a lot of different changes mm-hmm. that you got to go through, both in responsibility. Uh, what is it like leaving maybe your parents for the first time, being in a different place? Tons, yeah. There are just tons of changes. So the, the mental shift, not mm-hmm. just paying for it and doing well in your classes, but the mental shift to becoming an independent adult. Yeah. So time management, the emotional preparation, stress management, all that kind of stuff. I remember I was really concerned about it when I was a high school student and I was trying to do a lot of things to prepare myself for that transition. And uh, luckily, I think it went pretty well, but we've got some pretty cool research that you actually um, found to show that a lot of students aren't ready and hopefully we can help 
more be ready. But this episode is about getting into college. And I think we're going to focus first on choosing a college because this is a big question. And I, I get a lot of questions on like, hey, should I go to this big private university um, or should I just like play it safe? What do you think about community college? So I wanted to start out this particular section of the podcast just by going over like what each of us did to choose our colleges, like what our experiences were. And um, I guess I'll start with mine. So actually, this is this is going to be so atypical because I feel like the average student looks at a ton of colleges and they, you know, if they have like really involved parents, they'll drive all over the country or, and tour a bunch of places. And I didn't do that because my parents were really not very involved in my college selection process at all. Um, and the only college I ever toured was the one that I ended up going to, which was Iowa State University. And uh, I remember my friend Ben was in math class with me one time. Uh, it was our junior year. And he was like, hey, when the summer hits, I'm going to go tour Iowa State. You want to go with me? And I, I said, sure, and did it. And uh, I remember going there and I met all the people who were the tour guides. And I thought they were really cool. And the campus was awesome. And I just straight up said, hey, I'm going to go here. Uh, ended up applying the next fall. So I didn't do a whole lot of research. I remember getting a lot of junk mail from like every college wanting me to go apply to their school and just like, I had this giant folder of pamphlets and stuff but I never really gave too much serious thought to any other school uh, and then I chose Iowa State and I don't regret it but I definitely had a non-typical experience selecting what was yeah, yours was like? a lot less stressful than it like, was less stressful for at sure. least what I what I imagine most people go through mm-hmm. but, I had uh, one stressful bit but we'll get to that in a bit yeah so I went to community college first. I went to that for two years to get an associate's degree before I ever picked Iowa State. But my decision was uh, born slightly out of my irresponsibility in my youth. I didn't actually get very good grades in high school. So getting into community college was a reasonable step. There was a good major there. I was going with a friend. So I just picked the place that was close so I could go there. It was affordable and it had a really good a really good program. And I had heard, uh, I had heard that Google was actually interested in people who were in like the top 10% of that program. So that spurred why I wanted to go there. Oh, really? Yeah. So you went to Iowa I don't know Western, that right? That didn't ever, yeah, I went to Iowa Western Community College. And what were you, like, were you in a specific associate's degree program or was it like a program that was like specifically meant to transfer you to a four-year it was specifically just an associate's degree thing. Okay. I didn't have plans of going to a four-year university after that at the time. Oh, wait, you didn't even plan to go? No, to because, well, I didn't think my grades were good enough in high school to get me into a four-year university. They probably were, but okay. I just didn't think they were, so I never really worried about it too much because I had heard that Google would look at people who did hmm. really well in this one. And I don't know if that's true because by the end of it, I wanted to go to Iowa State, so like I didn't even bother talking to Google or anything like that. Yeah, but and that means you don't get to write a segue. Yeah, <laughs> yet I'll buy my own. That's true, because that's what they opened uh, in Council Bluffs, right? Was a data yeah, center. Yeah, they have a data center. I've heard their data centers Bluffs, are like. So that was my original aim was to try to qualify myself to work there. Yeah, I've heard their data centers are literally warehouses with shipping containers, and that's where they keep their their servers. It's like not a normal. Uh, server building. Yeah, I don't know. Kind yeah. of interesting. Yeah, but anyway, I I was getting an associate's degree. It wasn't it wasn't preparation to get something else. I was planning on getting my associate's degree and possibly being done with school. Mm-hmm. So it was just an affordable 
quicker option that worked well. Okay. But you ended up going to Iowa State after that. Yeah. Um, and you transferred to a full four-year degree. So at what point during community college did you decide that you were going to go transfer to four-year? Well, near the end of it, I started realizing that I really wanted to go to school for more languages because I, I was pretty good at Spanish at the time, and I had been realizing how much I enjoyed it. So I actually wanted to go learn French somewhere, and also I kind of wanted the whole social college experience because I never, I didn't get that from my community college. Mm. It, maybe that's because I wasn't very social, but I didn't get the whole leave mom and dad behind, go to a different city, and be an independent adult kind of thing. I wanted that fresh start, uh, build my identity over several years, hanging out with friends, learning what I'm good at kind of thing. Yeah. I didn't want to go straight into the job world. And I wasn't as thrilled about being a data administrator as I had <laughs> had been when I started. It didn't sound as appealing to me. I feel like you end. had a, an accelerated version of what I went through. Yeah, well, that. I mean, I loved what I learned, but it, and it was very hands-on. Mm-hmm. But it, I just didn't really want to be a systems admin near the end. I had realized that a little faster, I think. Yeah. Because that's, that's what I went to college for. Um, I went to Iowa State and majored in a man, uh, management information systems, which is a major that's basically like computer engineering for the people who don't want to do math and who are willing to learn more business. Um, and I, I went into it with like the very laser-focused intention of becoming a system administrator. I wanted to be the dude who was like tank from the matrix, had like 15 monitors, um, and I was kind of hoping I would have a job somewhere where I'd get like a huge organization to run around in and have to like wire up servers all over the place. And by the end of college, I was like, nope, don't want to do that. <laughs> Which is a very um, good indication of that. Like you, you probably won't be doing exactly what you think you want to do when you go into college. Like a lot's going to change and you end up learning a lot about the uh, occupation you might want to go into. Um, just once you get more experience, you know, I think both of us have gone through that for sure. Yeah. It's like, I went to Iowa state to do something entirely different. My original intention was to major in French. Mm-hmm. I changed that to MIS later because I figured I wanted to pay for my education later. Yeah. But you know that we could talk about more about the payment stuff in the next part, but like I went to a four year degree after that because it was a completely fresh start. It was just in addition to my associate's degree. I wasn't building on it necessarily. Mm. I wasn't trying to continue that career path. I was just doing something else, trying to go build myself as a person because the four-year college experience is, I think, a pretty good way to figure out a lot about yourself. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to talk a little bit uh, more generally about how someone can go about selecting a college. And one of the first things I had written down is like to ask yourself what your current career ideas are, like what you feel like you might want to do. And uh, this kind of links into the video I did on like why following your passion, quote unquote, isn't exactly the best advice, because I know most people my age had no idea what they wanted to do or they had a very, very fuzzy idea. Um, and that's OK. Like you don't have to have an exact idea, but if you have maybe some interests or maybe a field that you're interested in. You can use that to start narrowing down your selection. Um, one of the things I wanted to kind of really underline here is that college rankings don't matter. Um, the like quote unquote fit that a lot of colleges will try to market themselves 
towards you with it doesn't matter much like a lot of smaller colleges will say oh a big state university is a you know too many people you're going to be a small fish in a big pond why not come be a big fish in a small pond like that doesn't matter as much um because i found that and i think you'll agree it was really easy to sort of find a core group of friends and a core group of like activities that you could kind of plug yourself into even at a huge university yeah, we well, had like 800 clubs, right? Yeah, there were tons of opportunities for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the friend group thing, maybe I cheated because I, I went to Iowa State and stole the friend group <laughs> of my previous friend who was already there. And yeah. Was, you know, so I, I kind of had an advantage there. But there were so many clubs. There were so many things. There's absolutely a way to find. Of mm-hmm. course, you're not going to like being being a small fish in a big pond or whatever, that just means you need to chill on your area of the big pond. Why do you need yeah. to like stand out to the whole thing? Yeah, man, the coolest fish are in the ocean. So I oh, mean, some of them have like deep. neon lights on them. That's deep. <laughs> I'm just remembering when we were watching that. That's awesome. That deep sea documentary. We we're just like sitting there going, what the heck is that? Thing? Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, that's true. Coolest fish are in the ocean. They're not worried about whether they're the biggest fish in the ocean. They're just like, I'm cool. And I stay on this part of the ocean. Usually the deep parts because they light up. Yeah, exactly. So the other big thing about college selection, and we can get more into this in in episode two. Coming up in episode two. um, But the cost is a really important factor. And I know we have a lot of listeners who are not in the U.S. So this may not be applicable to you. Like if you're in Germany, I think you get to go to university for free. Um, If you're in the U.K., there's like a, a tuition cap that the government sets. Or like I've heard like Sweden is free, Denmark is free potentially. So if you're in one of those countries, awesome. You know, you can really view your educational experience at college as exploration, as just you finding out what you want to do and taking classes, you know, and that's that's perfectly fine. A lot of American students take that view. And I think that's okay if you're not paying for it yourself, but the more money that you start having to pay, whether it be out of pocket immediately uh, or from your family, if it's going to be hard for them or through loans, which you do have to pay back later, the more you need to start viewing your college selection as a business decision. I am investing either money up front now, or I'm taking on debt to hopefully get a return that I can use to pay that back later. A lot of people I know go to college and they get wrapped up in all the marketing, all the stuff about fit, all like the we have the best football team, we're by the beach. And they realize that they never had like a, a really solid reason for picking that college. And they could have gone to a different college. Um, I know somebody who really, really wanted to go to NYU because it was in New York City, because it was in the coolest city in the world, quote unquote. And um, when he was like finishing up high school, he asked me, he asked a couple other people, like, should I go there? Where should I go? I think I think we like we tried to convince him to go to the in-state university because it would have been so much cheaper and he wouldn't listen. Yeah, and the in-state university actually had a good program. Yeah. For the for the major. Ex- exactly what he wanted to do. Uh Iowa State would have been perfect for him. But he really wanted to go to the big city and have like the fun experience and be really far away from the parents. And now it is four years later, and uh he's got a crap ton of debt. And he's like, what do I do? Because there was never like a real plan for paying that back. And there was no plan for getting some sort of extra return for the extra money that that cost. And now the fact that he went to NYU doesn't matter because like he probably won't be able to afford to keep living there. Whereas 
somebody who goes to an in-state university, graduates with less debt, then they can take a trip to New York City whenever they've got the free time because the money's there, right? Yeah, so I guess the idea is don't, when you're picking a college, all of these cool, whoa, TV said this is the best place I've ever heard of. It's mm-hmm. not quite as important. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just do not pay attention too much to the marketing. Um, there was a book that I read recently from a guy named Neil Pasricha called The Happiness Equation. And he's actually going to be on the show pretty soon. I've got him booked for an interview next month. So I'm pretty excited to talk to him because I really enjoyed the book. But he talked about um, a friend he had who he knew in high school. And then they both kind of went their separate ways when they graduated. And then, you know, a few years ago, I think, because he's in his 30s now, he ran into this guy and uh, the friend had ended up going to a, I think it was like a less prestigious university than the Harvards and the Yales and the Stanfords and all that. But the thing was, this guy had been accepted to all those. He was like a star high school student, um, perfect grades, perfect everything. So all these colleges wanted him. So Neil asked him, how did you choose to go to this one particular university rather than all the big ones? And uh, he said he did something called the bench test. And for him, the bench test was to rent a Jeep for two weeks. And then he spent two weeks driving all around the country to each university. Um, And maybe Stanford wasn't in there because that would be like a cross-country trip. I think it was all like Northeastern universities. And what he did is instead of doing the tours, instead of doing all the marketing stuff, he just went and found a bench on campus, sat there and listened to the conversations people were having and tried to picture himself having those conversations in the context of that university. Because he told himself, this is most likely going to be the majority of my time at this school. Other than my time sitting in class, I'm going to be studying in the dorm rooms. I'm going to be walking around the campus, talking with these people, having very similar experiences to what these people are having. So me being like this person on the bench or like a fly on the wall, it's going to be the best, most objective way to figure out, is this for me? Is this kind of my style? And that's why he chose that somewhat less prestigious university because it just felt right to him. So that might be a way to do it. If you've got some time, if you're already making the investment and paying application fees to multiple universities, if you're already going to go to or multiple universities, maybe you can build some more time into that tour schedule to just do a bench test. Just like hang out for a while in the real world. Yeah. That's, and I got to say, that's I never, really cool. I never did anything like that. Well, you you almost got something like that. Oh, I did. But it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't for like a, <laughs> a cool, I'm going to test this out reason. Yeah, it was more just like, yo, Martin, you need to come hang out with us yeah, in the dorms I, at I, Iowa State. <laughs> I mean, that's that's absolutely a way to do the bench test. If you have friends that are already there, like at a university you're considering, I went and stayed a few nights mm-hmm. in the in the dorms with uh, our friend. And that's I, how I met you, actually. So I ended up getting a real, this is what the social experience is like. And sure, it didn't give me what the homework experience was like, but I felt that that was going to be kind of similar in most places and yeah. that how I felt there, my emotional like satisfaction with the place, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to college and feel really happy about this place because I know I have friends, because I know what what it's like, what kind of fun stuff are people doing, what are they talking about. Yeah, exactly. Also, also, if I had heard everybody constantly going, oh, all this homework is the worst. There's so much. The teachers here are the worst. Maybe I would have thought about it. You know, if, yeah. if you're sitting on the bench and all you hear is people going by freaking out about everything they have to do all the time, then uh, I mean, that'd be a little more scary. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the same thing that I've done with apartments before, right? Like the, they're going to give you a tour of like the model apartment that's perfectly clean. But I feel like the more accurate way to get a, uh, an idea on whether or not an apartment complex is good is to ask somebody who lives there. And um, I feel lucky that we had some friends who lived in the apartment complex we wanted to move to before we did. So I was able to ask them, like, is it actually worth it to live here? And they were like, well, it's not perfect. It's, you know, it's got its flaws, but for being almost the cheapest place in Ames, it's not bad. So we ended up moving there and I mean, it wasn't a perfect experience and I don't know, maybe you liked it less than I did, but I, I didn't really mind that it much. Was, it was really cool near the beginning. It got tired of it at the end. The, the main problem is like the total like idiots moved in the, the second year we were there across the hall from us. But the yeah, first year yeah, it was just like a couple that. with a cute dog. And that was fine. <laughs> but the idea is that wherever you go, whatever school you go to, wherever wherever you decide to live, mm-hmm. it's not like you're going to walk around and there's going to be theme music playing and your day is just a commercial for the college. Wait, the community theme song isn't how my actual college is going to go? Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> not actually, it's not actually how it works. That's good because the lyrics are kind of creepy. Yeah, they are kind of creepy. <laughs> it's pretty sad. But, I don't know what it means. But you are not a flyer. They're not going to be taking snapshots of you in action. Look how happy he is. Look at this amazing smile and this beautiful, these flower petals falling from the trees. Like, it's not going to be like that. Unless you do something to make the school look good. Then they might pay you to do that. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> that's a different story. But yeah, if you're, you're going to be the 99% of people who aren't going to be in the flyers. You're going to have the normal experience. Um, and the most important thing I can stress here is the experience is 90% crafted by you. That's what I learned about Iowa State. You know, I was like, I'm at a state college. This isn't the most prestigious place in the world, but it is a giant collection of resources that have been assembled in one place. There's opportunities. And for the most part, I just have to reach out and grab those opportunities. And in some instances, make them myself, uh, which was cool. I really liked how we were able to start our own um, student organizations and everything. That was really cool. I mean, we made a magic club on campus oh, yeah. and we yeah, had so like 30 members that was awesome you. it's up to you to make the like social situation and this fit you can mm-hmm. make it fit you if you're a little more hardworking. yeah so the last thing i wanted to talk about here on the college selection part of our uh, podcast here is the issue of whether or not a more prestigious more expensive like private ivy league school is going to provide a better return because I know a lot of students are worried that, oh, if I settle for the less prestigious school, I'm actually leaving something on the table. Um, I'm not grasping all the opportunities that are available to me. I'm not going to reach my full potential. And that is, I mean, the Ivy League schools capitalize on that so well. And uh, for like for the ultra smart people who can get a full ride scholarship to an Ivy League, awesome, go for it. I mean, my philosophy with college selection is go for your dream school. Just don't latch on to it and don't sell yourself on it to the point where you take like you give yourself a bum deal on the financial side Uh, be willing to go to your second choice school if it doesn't work out and there is actual research evidence to show that this is fine there is a economics professor at Princeton his name was Alan Kruger and he surveyed over 500 students who had been accepted to all these prestigious universities, some of whom actually went and some of whom did not go. They went to, you know, financially easier uh, colleges to deal with. 
And uh, the article that he wrote is called Children Smart Enough to Get into Elite Schools May Not Need to Bother. Uh, And it turned out that on average, all the people who went to, say, Rutgers rather than Yale earned just as much as the Yale grads over 20 years. So it's really a product of your intelligence. And what he said, uh, I want to quote this here is, don't believe that the only school worth attending is one that would not admit you. That you go to college, I'm going to put some emphasis on this, that you go to college is more important than where you go. Find a school whose academic strengths match your interests and which devotes resources to instruction in those fields. Recognize that your own motivation, ambition, and talents will determine your success more than the college name on your diploma. And Warren Buffett himself said, I don't care where someone went to school, and that never caused me to hire anyone or buy anyone's business. It's you, not the school. Yeah, absolutely, because if you go to Yale and you do nothing, Mm -hmm. and you just like scrape by on the minimum possible grades, you're not passionate about anything, you're not working hard, you're not trying to stand out. Yeah, exactly. What? How does that, how are you going to beat the person who went to the public university who's got this great, great portfolio of work, this huge resume, volunteer work, they've got internships, they're working really hard, they've got a great GPA. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you going to compare to them just because you, what, paid more to do less work than them? And you know what? Uh, Sometimes I think about this. Sometimes I'm glad that I didn't go to like a university in a crazy awesome city or like next to a beach or something because maybe that would have motivated me to go mess around or just have fun more often. Like I spent so many hours just hammering away at building College Info Geek or learning web development or all sorts of cool projects. Maybe if there was something else fun to do around, you wouldn't have been so productive. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, Ames is surrounded by cornfields and there's certainly fun things to do there. I mean, I love Ames, but it's not exactly the world's most exciting town. And that was just all the more motivation to hammer away at my own stuff because there's no surfing to do. There's no skiing to do. And now I can go do those things. In a way, that's like, what college is about, right? The personal growth and the, yeah. the stuff you do. So you having time to work on your projects says a lot more about your college experience than if you were to go somewhere really cool and not really grow as a person. Yeah, exactly. So I want to get into the actual process of applying to college. We're going to get really in detail about everything that kind of goes into the process and what you can do to increase your chances of getting accepted to where you want to go. Um, and even if it's a school like where acceptance is almost guaranteed, as long as you hit a certain number of factors, like the one we went to, uh, the better your application is, the more likely you may be to receive like some extra scholarships or honors or something like that. So um, we're going to pull from our own experiences here, but we also have my experience working as a student orientation assistant, which was basically my job to give tours of the campus to the students, but I also had to learn basically everything about the campus and the university that students might ask about. And also I had to learn about all the like the just normal questions students would ask about, like, what's the workload like? How do I deal with homesickness? All that kind of stuff. And what parents would ask as well. And honestly, learning all that stuff was one of the reasons I started College Info Geek, because I had to go to an hour and a half long class twice a week to learn all this stuff. And I was like, well, why not blog about it? (laughs) Um, And I originally had applied to blog for a uh, another site and they rejected me which is why I started this one but yeah so I've got a little bit of experience uh, professional experience myself but we've also done a metric buttload of internet research to use the technical term right there 
Uh, and there's a Very couple technical. of books that we've pulled from as well. One is Debt Free You by Zach Bissonette, which is actually the book that I pulled that study from, the one I talked about a couple of minutes ago. And that one's going to be more referenced in the next episode. Uh, and this one, we reference a lot from a book called College Admission from Application to Acceptance Step-by-Step by Robin Mamlet and Christine Vandeveld. Uh, and that is actually a very, very comprehensive book on the whole college application and acceptance process. So if you listen to this episode and you think, man, these guys have not gone into as much detail as I wish they would have. I don't know how, but <laughs> if you do check that book out, I'll have it linked up in the show notes. It's a, a really comprehensive resource. So that being said, let's get into my gigantic outline here. And the first thing I wanted to tell you guys is that, uh, According to that book I just referenced, more than three quarters of students get admitted to their first choice college. And that's that comes from research done by the Higher Education Research Institute at UCLA. So basically, don't worry, right? I yeah, mean, so it's, it's not <laughs> as big of a nightmare as maybe it's made out to be. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's going to be um, tempered by which school you apply to. You can see, uh, I don't remember the site right now, but there are definitely multiple sites, I think, that will give you data on the percentage of students that are accepted out of how many apply. Um, I'll try to make a note for that on the show notes so I can have it linked to. But for most universities, as long as you have good grades graduating, that do not have to be perfect, but good, you know, and you have a pretty good solid application package, you're going to get accepted. Um, so I wanted to go through the timeline of things that you should be doing to put yourself on the best possible footing here. So to start that out, we are going to start with ninth and 10th grade. I know most people listening to this are probably past that, but uh, I keep getting emails from middle schoolers. So for the few of you who are really on the ball and you're listening to this before ninth grade, uh, or if you're like a parent or something, we'll start here and we're going to get through this part pretty quickly. But when you're ninth, 10th grade, the main thing is you want to be thinking about college and you want to be thinking about the course selections you can make now. So AP and dual credit classes, if you have access to those, you can definitely use those to get ahead. And what I actually read in that book is it can actually be a red flag to some colleges if you have no AP or dual credit classes on your transcripts. So you don't have to take a zillion, but they can be really, really beneficial. They can really help you prepare for the workload you're going to face in college, and they look really good on your transcripts. Um, the other thing is I really recommend doing as well as you can in your English composition classes. And um, I got to say, the best class I ever took in high school was advanced AP uh, English comp because my teacher was like a boot camp instructor for writing. She put us through like comma usage hell and uh, semicolon usage purgatory. And it was awful. I remember the first week of class, she actually assigned us six essays to be due by the end of the week. And that was like, we were not used to that workload. It's incredible. <laughs> I know, right? Six. It was, you know, I got it done. And that's more than now, one day. As a writer, I was like, okay, I could, I could do that. They were short, you know, they were like a page or a page and a half each. But back then I was like, still oh for my high God. school, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're going to have to write essays with your college application, most likely. So the better you can get at writing essays now, the better they're going to be when you apply to college. So um, these are the main, like ninth and 10th grade are really preparatory and you just want to be thinking about things. The one other thing I really recommend doing is get good at using a calendar, whether you have a paper, notebook, planner. I don't actually know what most 
high school students use these days. I know back when I was in high school, every semester they'd hand out a planner and I think we had to pay for it. But uh, now everyone has a smartphone, so you might as well just get like the Google Calendar app on your phone. Uh, time management is going to be your one of your most important skills in college. So if you can start building that ability now while you have a ton of structure in your life, you're going to have such an easier time transitioning into college and you're going to have an easier time juggling all the due dates that you're going to have to deal with when you get later into high school and applications start becoming a thing. Um, and then the other thing is build a relationship with your guidance counselor because this is going to be the person who is like your sage old wise man for or woman for uh, for college. Like they're the person whose job it is to get you prepared for college. You know, they're going to have all the answers. I know my guidance counselor is the person who told me about where I could go look for scholarships. And uh, Martin, actually, you had one that wrote you a letter of recommendation, didn't you? Yeah, I actually I had built good relationships with both my composition teacher and my high school counselor because I had uh, I kept asking questions. I kept wanting to be prepared, making sure that my class schedule was in a particular way or that I could get into certain college credit classes. And because, uh, especially because of my high school counselor knew me so well, they knew me because I was very forward in what I wanted to accomplish and asking for help about getting it done. Mm -hmm. So they both knew me well enough that when I needed some recommendations later on for a scholarship, they were both willing to handwrite recommendations and send them my way, and it got me the scholarship. So if you don't build a relationship with these people, they can never vouch for you. Boom. They can never help you in the future. It's called networking, and you'll do it a lot more in college, but you can start now, and yeah. it might help you with scholarships and college admissions. Oh, exactly. And you know what? I You just jogged my memory. I had forgotten about this, but my high school guidance counselor wrote me a recommendation as well. I don't remember if it was for a scholarship or, or what it was for, but... I remember getting like a sealed envelope from him and I remember having had, had asked him for a recommendation. So definitely a good idea to just get to know your guidance counselor and you're going to be frequently going up to their office when you start getting closer and closer to college. So moving on to junior year, this is going to be the year where you start thinking really seriously about the schools you want to go to. You're probably going to start getting the mailers that I got. And uh, at this point, I would just start making a list of the places you want to go to. And that book that I mentioned, um, college, what is it called again? College admission. Yeah, that one says to make a list of reach schools, likely schools, and safety schools. So basically that's like these are the big universities, like the really prestigious ones if you are so inclined that are either very selective or very expensive and you would need a lot of financial aid to go to. And then you get your likely schools, the ones that you think, yeah, I could probably get into those. They might be a little selective, but I've, I've got this. And then your safety schools. So community college or something like really local, just having a list of options. Or you could just be like me and pick your state university and not worry about it. That is also an option. But the uh, the reach likely and safety list is what that book recommends. Um, I already mentioned getting used to using a calendar app like Google Calendar or Planner. At this point, you're going to want to get all the dates onto your timeline now. So if you've got a college visit scheduled, make sure that's on there. Uh, you're also going to want to have like your SAT and ACT uh, test date scheduled as well. And you want to take the SAT or ACT, depending on where you're going or where you're applying, no later than April or May of your junior year. You can take the SAT uh, up until December of your senior year, assuming you're going to college immediately after senior year. 
but I would recommend doing it in either May or April of that junior year because then you can get your results. And if you just have a hard time taking tests or you weren't prepared, then you can take it again and your best results are what gets sent to the colleges, not your first results. So I took my ACT April of my junior year. I got a perfectly fine score. I think I got a 32 and I was like, I'm not going to worry about getting a 34, 35 or whatever. I'm just going to go with this. Uh, but if I had wanted to, I could have taken it again. So that's really nice. So you're just giving yourself a little more buffer room because those, exactly. those tests, they occur on scheduled dates, right? It's not like you can just walk in and take the test. Yeah. Yeah. You have to sign up for it and then you got to go to a proctored location and all that kind of stuff. Like they have to have available mm -hmm. people to let you take the test. And another thing here is like, yes, you can technically uh, take it before December something, but there are a lot of moving parts to a college application. You've got class transcripts, you've got ACT and SAT scores, you've got recommendation letters, all this kind of stuff. And your, uh, your app is going to be due in December. So you want to have all the stuff that needs to go into the application prepared as soon as possible. That way you're not stressing out trying to shove everything into the envelope last minute, right? Yeah. So yeah. it might be a good idea to set up a sort of a little schedule with mm -hmm. the things that you need to accomplish every month or so. Yeah. And so we can actually link to some of this stuff in the show notes. There are, I think the college board and a couple other sites have like PDF documents with these, these uh, checklists and timelines all listed oh, out. Great. So check those out. Yeah. And then the last thing for, for junior year, uh, and you might think this is a bit early, but it is not, is to start looking for scholarships. I have, in fact, I've seen scholarships for people in ninth grade. So if you're ambitious enough or you're the parent of an ambitious child or one that you can <laughs> make do some stuff, uh, there are scholarships for people who are much younger than 11th grade. But by the time you're a junior, I would say this is at the time where it's it's good to start looking or at least be aware of what local scholarships you have available to you. Be browsing uh, FastWeb and Zinch and other, other scholarship search engines in your free time. I know that personally I was doing it uh, during a lot of my study halls during junior and senior year. So episode 34 of the podcast has a lot more detail on that. Uh, part two is going to go into some scholarship stuff. So if you're curious, there is something already on the show and there's more coming next week. Cool. So now that past junior year, we've got the last year of high school and this is where you're going to have to start turning in a lot more, a lot more actual deadlines are coming up because the like uh, like you said earlier, there are a lot of moving parts mm -hmm. in your college stuff. You've got to wait for certain people to do certain things. It's not all in your hands. Yeah. Oh, the FAFSA, dude. <laughs> that was like the most stressful thing because I had to wait for my parents. Yeah, you've get got their to taxes wait, done. wait for your parents. You've got to wait for the government to get stuff done. You've got to wait for your school to send out transcripts. I believe I had some problems with that. And a friend of mine needed to ask the school to send it three or four times before they actually sent them. Seriously? Yeah. Like the, they just kept forgetting to do it. That's like, that's like worse than trying to get the, yeah, so the you, irrigation guy. So you absolutely so <laughs> want to start, you want to start these things early because you can't necessarily control the, the bureaucracy part of it, mm -hmm. the paperwork, the stuff that you can't send yourself. So early, early on, maybe September, you've got to start looking, what are your deadlines for everything? Mm -hmm. Get them in a calendar. Like you said, be paying attention to that because if you find out that a deadline is in a week at one point, you're going to have a really fun time trying to freak out and fill everything out and see if you can even still make it. It's not actually fun. It, yeah, it's not that fun. <laughs> I lied. So then 
uh, a little later on, maybe maybe October. I don't know. I wouldn't call that too early because, like I said, the school's stuff slips through the cracks. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to make sure that your high school starts sending transcripts that they can get those to the college. And sure, it's not necessarily finished yet. Your mm-hmm. transcript's not finished, but they're going to probably update the college when you have a finalized transcript. That'll happen. Yeah. And you just want to make sure that you get your name in there because if the college isn't getting anything from them, they're going to need that for your application. And you're relying on the advisors and the counselors and whomever is sending these things to make it happen on time. Mm -hmm. I do want to make one little note on that point. And this is a piece of general advice that applies to your entire life. Um, You can't always rely on people to get things done the first time you ask them to. So you have to become the kind of person who follows up and makes sure things are accomplished when they need to be accomplished. And if they're not, you have to be the kind of person that's willing to nag a little bit, right? And that means you need to be able to say, uh, get some confirmation from the college that, yes, we got your transcript. If your high school says they sent it, that doesn't necessarily mean it got there. So just try to keep everything on the up and up. Make sure you're you're aware of where everything is and everything is you know done when it needs to be done. Yeah, you've um, got to double check these things mm-hmm. because they're just people. And let's say maybe maybe that same person who's sending your transcript, they've got to send 300 other transcripts to various colleges. Yeah. It's very easy for something to slip through the cracks there. Mm-hmm. And then the colleges are having thousands and thousands of applicants that they have to sort through. So, yeah, I guess this is the big thing. It's so easy to think like, oh, the institution of my high school is responsible for me. They will protect me. The institution of the college is obviously so perfect and amazing because look how cool it is. They'll get it done. But no, you are the most responsible for your college experience, and that includes the entire application process. So you need to make sure, like, you're the person who has to look out for number one here. You know, the, your guidance counselor really does care about you. They're going to try. The people who work for the college, they're, they're it's their job to try. But at the end of the day, you're the person that has to make sure it gets done. Yeah, because everybody else is just people, and the point of college is that you're becoming an adult anyway. Mm-hmm. You need to take charge in your life. Yep. Um, so we've got a few more things with uh, deadlines. You're going to want to submit, obviously, your applications as soon as you have the information for them. And uh, then you've got the FAFSA. That's pretty important. And it's it depends on your parents' tax returns yeah. also. So you have to wait for the tax returns to get finished. You can send it as early as January 1st, but almost no one has their tax returns by January 1st. Yeah, they need to get their W-2s, and you're relying on a company to send your your parents their W-2s, and then your parents to file the taxes, and then the taxes to get to the government. Woo! There's so much <laughs> stuff here. You need to start as early as possible. Yeah, and the one thing I'll say about the FAFSA is you can submit it, I believe, as late as June 30th, but you shouldn't because most schools have priority deadlines or uh, when you'll be eligible for the most aid. I know for Iowa State, it was March 1st, which made me very, very worried because my parents didn't have their taxes done until like February 20th or something. Oh, yeah. So I was like freaking out. I was like, Mom, Dad, I need your tax returns. Um, but I actually learned, and this is something we'll cover more in depth in the second episode, you can actually submit estimated data on the FAFSA. Um, we'll talk in the next week's episode about like how you can estimate the data, but you don't need to have the exact numbers right away. As long as you get it in on time with reasonable estimates, you can beat that deadline. Yeah. And then, oh, I think we did we mention that December is usually the deadline application for app or for uh, college apps? 
Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, I think yeah, it's it's about it's around December, and obviously, like we shouldn't need to say it because you'll have the application yeah, it'll, deadline it'll for every school calendar, but uh, on your calendar. If but you haven't filled out case. one and December passes, you should think to yourself, "What's going on here?" Yeah, something's going on, and uh, then like. April, May-ish is probably when you're going to get your acceptance letter. It might come sooner, it might come later, but that's that's the general time. So I wanted to get into the things that matter most on your application because there's a lot of confusion around this. Um, some people will say, you know, grades are the most important thing ever. And some people will say, well, look at this anecdotal story of this person who didn't have good grades. So there's nuggets of truth in both. And I wanted to try to clear it up a bit. Uh, so let's start this out with how our college um, has criteria for accepting people. Now, Iowa State uses something called the Regent Admission Index. Uh, they call it RI or RAI score. And this is something that I believe only Iowa uses and only like the big state universities in Iowa use. But it's likely that if you're going to a state university anywhere in the country, they're going to use something similar. And uh, specifically, the RAI score is composed of your percentile class rank, if your school does class rank, and that gets like one point. And then they take your ACT composite score. So say you get like a 30, they uh, multiply that by two. They take your cumulative GPA by two, and then they take the number of years you've spent in high school courses by five. Uh, and there is an alternative formula for the non-class rank, like I said, but that's basically the formula. And then... Um, the Iowa State website said applicants who achieve at least a 245 and who meet minimum high school course requirements will be automatically offered admission. And uh, the ones who get less than 245 and they do minimum, they do meet those minimum high school course requirements, they might also be offered admission, but their applications are reviewed on an individual basis. So that's kind of where that like three-fourths of all students get into the college that they choose comes from because a lot of colleges have an automatic admission formula. And as long as you can get your grades and your ACT or SAT performance up to snuff, you're going to get in. So the technical stuff here, you get your minimum requirements, right? English, math, science, social study stuff. Some colleges will require extra things like a liberal arts school might need some foreign language stuff. Or if you're going to go into engineering, they're going to require more math, maybe more science. Um, the basic thing here is like do your research. And I would recommend is before you apply, have like a like a swipe file of basically everything that each college is going to require. Um, my mom forced me to get like a, a folder drawer, not like a file cabinet, but it's like one of those ones that opens from the top. And I still have it under my desk after like seven or eight years and uh, everything regarding college, all the papers and flyers with requirements went in there. And what I'd recommend now is maybe use your smartphone, scan them with like the scannable app and then put them into Evernote. And then you could have like a notebook for each college just so everything is perfectly organized and you know exactly what you need. And then uh, make sure you hit those minimum requirements. And if you don't have a plan for either how you'll convince the school you don't need them, maybe you can take a remedial class or something. I know some schools will admit people who haven't hit every factor or have a plan for how you can actually get them filled. Um, I remember for Iowa State, they had an automatic scholarship, which did you, you got that, didn't you, Warren? I do believe I did. I got a I got an automatic transfer scholarship when I yeah, went to Iowa yeah. State. So you got that one. I was gunning for this automatic undergrad scholarship, and it was like, I think it was like four thousand dollars or something. And it was it was a really good scholarship, and you didn't need to apply 
or anything. It was literally considered upon application to the school as long as you had good enough grades and you had all of these classes. And the class requirements were higher than the minimum requirements for just getting in. And I remember I was one class away from getting it because I had not taken chemistry. I figured most students take biochemistry than physics. I took bio than physics because I was like, physics is cool. You get to hit things and do egg drops. I want to do that first. And then high school came around and I was in this special program where I was going to community college for half the day uh, for dual credit classes. And I had no time in my schedule for chemistry. So my initial plan was to take chemistry at community college the summer before I went to Iowa State to fulfill that. Um, Now, I ended up getting a better scholarship that superseded the automatic one. So I didn't end up having to do it. But that was my plan. And it's good to have a plan like that. So you got your minimum requirements, you got your GPA and academic record, and the thing that uh, we have to just kind of put out there is that your GPA and your academic record are a primary factor for most schools. And for the highly selective ones, it is the most important factor. Like, that's just how it is, you know? Yeah, well, I didn't have a, I didn't have a very good GPA in high school, so that wouldn't have worked out very well, but mm-hmm. I had fixed it. I actually fixed it by going to community college because, uh, so my community college had a, I don't know if, is it, is it all just automatic into a community college? I'm not sure. It certainly wasn't very hard to get in. Yeah. It's really not. I feel like you just get in. I'm pretty sure you just get in. Yeah. I'm fairly certain, but (laughs) unless you're like a criminal or something. So I took my, (laughs) I don't know, like not that great first three years of high school GPA and I went to community college where for the next two years I got just incredible grades, almost a, almost a 4.0. It was a 3.8, mm-hmm. I think. So when I changed my mind about going to Iowa State and I decided to go there and they wanted, as a transfer, they wanted my Iowa Western transcript. They actually didn't care about my high school GPA anymore. So they didn't want your high school GPA at they, all? They did, It did not matter. Okay. Actually, it says here that ISU doesn't need your high school transcripts as long as you have 24 credit hours from community college. So Okay, hey, well, see, since boom. I had gone through two full years, I had far more than that. And so Iowa State got to say, oh, this guy's got a 3.8 in college classes. Mm-hmm. It did not matter in the slightest that I didn't do very good in high school. I completely overrode that. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and you got the transfer scholarships too. Yeah, so and so I got to look like a much better student coming in. Just I got there on the right foot. Than yeah, maybe I wouldn't have before. So that's actually something that's good to keep in so mind. It's for, a second chance. Yeah, it is. It really is. So I mean, if you're if you're in high school and you're like trying to be really responsible now, like you've kind of just come into that time in your life where you're like I got to get my crap together. Community college can provide that second chance if you don't have the credentials from your past high school choices to get into the college you want to go to. You yeah, because can... senior year is when I started being responsible. Yeah. So, so it's like a I was a little late, but then through community college, I completely fixed that. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, yeah, we've got those, your class rank, and then your SAT, ACT score. Um, now, there are other factors that colleges look at besides your grades. Um, There was some research showing that like small liberal arts colleges and elite universities will put more emphasis on non-academic qualities if it's like somebody in a underrepresented minority group um, or or people who can just straight up afford to pay because colleges 
want to give out as little financial aid as possible uh, to people who can pay. And there was research by this Harvard doctoral student showing that. But just keep in mind, like you, you should be focusing on your grades uh, as well. And actually, I wanted to go over a little bit about like, do you ever have people in high school that were like, I'm going to take pottery like six times just so I can get an A? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's not a good idea. No, absolutely. Because <laughs> you're sending your transcript. It's not just your GPA. They're going to notice, oh, he took pottery six times. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? Let's pull this guy in. Are you a master craftsman now? Show us some, show us some pottery. Are you amazing? Was this out of passion? I don't know why, but you saying that just reminded me of Rapper the Rapper. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a great why. game. So there you go. Anyway, go on. But like, I doubt they're actually going to pull you in and see if you're a master, but if they did, they would just realize, and this is what they'll probably assume, that you took it to be lazy, mm-hmm. and that's not its not going to look good. They're looking for ambitious students. They're looking for your GPA to be a reflection of hard work, not a reflection of clever class scheduling that let you not work very hard. Yeah. Although I commend the efficiency mindset. They usually they don't. your tricks. They don't want that. Uh, specifically, colleges are looking for the level of difficulty of your classes, and looking for a pattern of increasing difficulty as you get further into high school, along with consistently high grades that trend upward or at least stay good. Yeah, they want while that crescendo. Those, yeah. So You're it's growing. Like, basically, what they want is they want someone who can keep consistently performing highly under increasing difficulty because that is indicative of what they're going to do when they get into college, where the, the difficulty should increase even more. So, and just like, you got to keep in mind that the colleges are getting your transcripts. They're not just getting your GPA. They're not just getting like a fortune cookie that says, you know, Sally got a 3.8. They're getting like a full paper saying like Sally took pottery six times in photography and never took any math classes. Like, you know, they're going to see every class you took. So, and what they want is they want to see an emphasis on learning, on challenging yourself and on basically becoming the kind of person who is prepared to transition into college well. Um, the other thing I want to talk about here is do as many dual enrollment and honors and AP classes as you can. Now, like I said before, you don't have to do a zillion of them. Um, I did a lot, but I mean, how many did you do? Well, not a zillion. I did composition in Spanish. Okay. That was it. So just a couple semesters of both of those. Did they give you credit or were they just honors? All of those gave me credit with my community college, Okay, which subsequently transferred over to Iowa State. Nice. So I yeah. didn't have to take any AP tests. It was all just dual enrollment. So I feel pretty fortunate because the high school district I went into had a really strong agreement with the community college in town. And because of that, I was able to take dual credit classes in high school. Um, I don't remember if it, I got to do any during my sophomore year, but definitely during my junior year. And then senior year, they had a program where you could go to the community college for half the day and take like basically like a full suite of college courses taught by college professors. And I got college credit for that along with high school credit for that. So you were just sitting there with a bunch of actual college students or was it just high schoolers taking a higher level class? It was all high schoolers. So it was, it was a program where the college professors would take part of their day and they would teach a group of high school students, but it wasn't all students from my high school. It was like maybe four or five people from my school. And then there were students that were from like, four or five other schools around the area who would drive there. And that was the thing. We had to drive ourselves there. There was no transportation. 
But as long as you could get yourself there, you could take it. And mine was like a business preparatory program. So I got I got microeconomics done. I got business law done. Um, I got my accounting class done. And that plus all the stuff I took in the high school building, I was able to transfer in 39 credits uh, into college, which meant I was technically a sophomore the day I stepped on campus, which was freaking awesome. Um, and what that ended up letting me do is number one, skip the horrendously boring business law class that my friends had to take. Uh, did you have to take that one? I can't remember. Uh, yes. I feel you did. Yeah. I feel yes, like you were I complaining did. about it. I, I find that likely. <laughs> I mean, I was certainly, oh my God, that reminds me when I took business law at the community college, we all sat around a table with the professor, like in the middle of the room with us sitting at the table and still people would fall asleep to the point where I'd spend some of my class time drawing how the does people that, who were asleep. How does that, what did the professor do? How does that work? I think she just didn't care. I don't know. Huh. There were definitely people sleeping. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe she shouldn't care. It's your job to be an adult. It's true. Yeah. I mean, a lot of professors will yeah, not fail care. if you want, but yeah, um, there are several different types of honors slash dual enrollment classes. So just to let you know what they are, there is honors, which in most schools implies no AP credit, uh, no AP credit or no test. No, well, no AP test or college <laughs> credit. And basically it just looks good in your transcript. Then there's AP classes, which can get you college credit, but you have to pass an AP test at the end of the semester and get a good enough score. Now I got... Um, I didn't get college credit from doing the one actual AP class I took because I took AP Euro history during my sophomore year and I got a three on the AP test out of five. Uh, and there was one college in Iowa that would have taken a three, but Iowa State wanted a four. So I got no credit on that class. There's also one called International Bat Bachelorette or Baccalaureate. I don't know how to pronounce this, but they're IB classes. I have not run into these myself, but they are a thing. Um, and then there's dual enrollment, which were most of the ones I took. And you, I would, I would recommend asking your guidance counselor or your high school counselor, what your options for doing this are, because I've heard that many schools are just very tight knit with a community college or a state university to offer things, but other schools have other options you can do that might involve more effort on your part, but can get you some credit. And then lastly, there is the Cambridge standard, which is AICE classes. Haven't seen that either, but they do exist in certain school districts. So whatever your school district offers, I would recommend adding a few of those to your course load, both to help you prepare and to hopefully get you some credit too. Uh, and lastly, I want to stress that colleges care about why you did what you did. That book that we've been referencing, the college admission book, there's a quote from there that I wanted to read out here. And it was, uh, colleges want to see a student who studies French because he adores French, like Martin, not a student who studies Chinese because she's been told it looks better to an admission office. So the main thing here is that you can't try to game the system. They want to see genuine people, really. Yeah, they want students that maybe will be the 1% that are on the flyers later. Like, look mm -hmm. how passionate this student is. Not just, I do a lot of things I don't like because it looks good. That's not exciting to new students. That's not selling it. Yeah, exactly. So the, uh, the non-technical things that uh, are going to make a dent in your application and can actually change the decision at times 
are admissions essays, which is why I said ninth grade, 10th grade, start taking those composition classes. Also your extracurricular activities like sports and clubs. If you've got work experience, I know most of my high school career was, was go to school and then work. And that gave me a really nice resume. Uh, volunteering experience, experience, basically like having a resume. And I remember I had um, like the precursor to a resume in high school. I just had like this achievement list dot doc in my folder uh, on my computer. And it was just like a giant list of all the scholarships and like work experience and everything that I had earned up to that point. And uh, also my mom made me keep a folder full of every like award and trophy and plaque thing. I don't know what a certificate that's the word. So when you needed to basically like talk yourself up or show off yeah. on any sort of application, you were like, let me just rifle through here mm-hmm. and see which ones would look the coolest to these people. Yeah, it was like, these are the good things. So definitely get yourself out there, try to, you know, get involved in stuff, but you don't have to just try to rack up as many trophies and, and honors and awards for the sake of racking them up, you know, as you can, because like we said, what you're interested in speaks louder than what just looks nice and shiny. Um, There's a book by Cal Newport called How to Be a High School Superstar. And he talks about this high school student named Michael Silverman who applied to go to Stanford, which is notoriously a very selective college. And he got in, but it was interesting because he was in the bottom 10% of the Stanford acceptances by grades and his GPA from high school was actually not that stellar. But he got in, Because what he ended up doing was he focused all of his attention on environmental sustainability projects in high school. He was like really into that kind of stuff. And he ended up building like a killer application out of the fact that he was the absolute best at that thing. He was the the most impressive application in that one extracurricular area. And what he was taking advantage of was something called the superstar effect, where humans are natural comparison machines, basically. And in our brains... Someone who's the best at something is so, so much better than someone who's very good at something. Uh, like Ricky Bobby said, if you ain't first, you're last. Actually, I don't remember if he said that in that movie, but know. it's in that movie. It's now attributed <laughs> to Ricky Bobby. Yeah, because we compare stuff, right? And we like opera singers who are the best earn billions of dollars and opera singers who are like 95% good make maybe a, you know, a comfortable living, but nothing crazy. So if you've got some project you're really passionate about, maybe like, you're learning to code yourself and you build like an amazing video game or something that can be the crown jewel of an application. Uh, and it can really offset, like if your grades aren't amazing or your GPA isn't amazing, that can really shore that up. So he's, he basically he was specializing a lot earlier than most people start to specialize mm-hmm. their skills because being really great at something, the superstar effect, much cooler than being pretty decent at like a million things. Yeah, exactly. You don't stand out for any of them. Mm-hmm. So we got a couple of extra sections here to cover. Um, those are the main issues I wanted to cover here. Now, there is one issue that a lot of students get really confused about, and it's what the heck is early decision, early action? Should I uh, ac- accept a offer early? And what are the consequences of doing that? So there are two different early, quote unquote, ways of accepting an offer. There's early decision and then there's early action. So I'll define those real quickly. Early decision, there are two deadlines. There's one in November, there's one in December. Some schools might use both, others use just one. Um, You're gonna wanna know everything about your first choice school if you're looking into any sort of early decision. The thing about early decision is this is a binding agreement. So if you get 
Like say you apply to six different schools and you apply early decision to one of them. They give you an offer and you accept it. Now you have to go there. It's for the student who has identified a college as their definite first choice. And if you take it, you're committing to attending. And that means you have to withdraw the applications you have to other schools. So don't take it lightly. And early action is like the non-binding version of that. So if you are able to apply early action, it means you can accept it, but it's like accepting anything else. You don't have to go to that college. You're not like sticking, you know, you're, you know, you're like putting your stake in the ground right there. So with early decision and to a lesser degree with early action, the advantages are you have a better admission rate. If it's like a really selective school, applying early decision can kind of signal that you have a lot of interest in that school and admission admission decisions are actually affected by the perceived likelihood of a student attending that particular school. Like these people know that they are in competition with other schools for the best students. So if you demonstrate interest through an early decision action, uh, that can help you get that, uh, get accepted. And there's also just a peace of mind. Like you know where you're going sooner and the rest of your senior year can be spent just with a little bit less stress. There's the disadvantages though. Um, number one, you gotta be on top of your game and have everything ready to go earlier than normal. Honestly, it's a great skill to cultivate anyway, and hopefully if you were taking the advice about having a calendar and having like your, all your swipe files and just being really prepared, that's not gonna be too big of a deal, but it is something to think about. Um, the main thing with early decision and early action is that Basically, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And you have to remember that about everything. Like this is basic economics. If you're not footing the bill for your college, someone else is. Meaning if a college is able to give you a ton of financial aid, they are getting paid by someone else paying full tuition. So if you apply early action, early decision, you're signaling that you really want to go there. The college can basically know that you're going to go there. You're going to pay. And maybe they don't need to offer you as much of a competitive financial aid package as they might to somebody else who looks a little bit more on the fence, but is still a really attractive student they want. So just keep that in mind if you are going to apply early decision, early action. And then uh, the last bit here is interviews, because sometimes you do have to do an interview. Did, and did you ever have to do an interview? Not once. Okay, me neither. But I so. also went to a community college <laughs> and true. then the public state college. This, yeah. this may be more likely for private colleges or mm -hmm. I have very little doubt Ivy League stuff. Yeah, and I think we've talked about interviews before. There's the uh, the episode with Brad Karsh, which is about your resume and your first job interviews. So a lot of the same stuff from job interviews applies to a college interview. Uh, a couple of other points I wanted to make here, though, is... Number one, don't bring your parents because a selective college wants an independent student who is willing to do things on their own. So don't do that. Make sure you research the college. That way you can appear knowledgeable and you can be very interested in that institution. Uh, and also just treat it like a conversation. Despite all the pillars and all the fancy stuff and like the fact that the college has been around for 600 years or whatever, you don't have to treat it like you're appealing to like the temple of Zeus because this school is selling themselves to you as much as you're selling yourself to them. Uh, they want to attract the best students and you want to attract the best schools to accept you. And you do that by striking a balance between 
relaxation and being quote unquote on being confident, being, you know, smiling, everything like that. So yeah. And check out that episode with Brad Karsh. I think we have some more interview tips in there as well as just some general professionalism tips as well. So I think that's, that's, that's going to do it for our first part here. Uh, if you want some more information, then there's that book college admission from application to acceptance there's also College Board. They have a ton of information, a ton of resources. There's the Peterson's Get Into College Guide, and we're going to have all that stuff and more linked up in the show notes, which if you want to find them, you can go over to CIGpodcast.com and find the episode 10... Is this 109, Martin? I think so. Yeah, 109. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 109. 109 link on the page. We'll have everything linked up there. And there's also a link on the page to rate and review the podcast on iTunes if you want to support us. Uh, every rating and review helps to drive the show up the charts, shows it to more people, and makes us happy. At least it makes me happy. So thank you so much for listening, guys. And we look forward to seeing you in the next part of the series, which will focus on paying for college, all the financial details. So until then, stay cute.